Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Tradecraft podcast. A few days ago, Robin Roth, our chief executive, gave a talk at the London Roadshow. He spoke about some of the radical changes coming our way at Tradecraft over the next months and years. But rather than me tell you about it, we wanted to give you the chance to listen to the man himself. It's around 45 minutes long, so make yourself comfy and enjoy. So thank you for coming. I, I try to stand at the door and say hello to everybody. I, I didn't manage it throughout, so if there are people who have come in after I, I left, I'm sorry. Um, very nice to meet you. Thank you for coming out on this really cold day. <laughs> I could see you all coming in togged up, and now it feels a bit more relaxed. Um, apparently, I've got an hour and a half to speak with questions. That's a long time, so we're going to try and uh, I'll try and make this enjoyable. There'll be some laughter. There'll be some tears, some love, some romance, some tragedy. Uh, we'll, we'll try and go through the whole Shakespearean experience. But I, I do want to leave enough time for you to ask questions. So uh, don't worry, I'm not going to go on forever. And I know there are lots of questions about pricing, so I'm going to leave that almost to the question and answer. And we do have some good questions to answer and some answers to give. Um, so I, I have to confess, I, I don't find it hard to talk in front of large groups of people. I've done it, I studied as an actor, actually, uh, when, I, when I left university. I wanted to become an actor, so I went to RADA and uh, realized very quickly that it was not the thing for me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, and I left. But I, I've never found it difficult to talk in public. It's just one of those things I'm, I'm very lucky on. But preparing for today has been one of the most difficult uh, weeks in terms of preparing for a speech that I've ever had. I'm very honest about that. It, it is an extraordinarily perplexing time at the moment, isn't it? I, you know, my, my son said to me the other day, it's just entertainment at the moment. Every time I look at the newspaper, it's like, what's Trump done now? Or what's Parliament done next? And he just he said, it's weird. It's just weird. I don't feel well. And this is a 17-year-old boy. So I don't feel well. It's just, it's not normal. <laughs> and I feel a bit like that, I've got to be honest. I feel um, we're in a very strange time politically and economically. I mean, that's part of the reason for the price increases. The dollar has strengthened, the pound has weakened. 20% of our income or wealth has suddenly disappeared. Hello, that's, that's quite scary. Um, so in times of trouble, I always go back to my favorite book in the Bible, now, I know we just had the worship, but I'm just going to talk a little bit about what drives me and the faith behind what we do. I bet everybody in this room has a favorite book in the Bible. Yeah, I can, I can see a few nods at least. That, that, or, or passages, the, the ones that you go back to when you just, oh, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Tell me who doesn't, come on, who doesn't have a favorite book in the Bible? Oh, you don't? Good. Uh, and we need to acknowledge that uh, although we are a company based on Christian principles, um, we have many supporters who, who don't share a Christian faith, and they share other faiths, and that's, that's, that's fine. But I, I, forgive, me, forgive me if I talk a little bit personally. Uh, I'd like to do that. Of those of you who do have a favorite book, how many of them are in the New Testament? And, and who has a favorite book in the Old Testament? Oh, that's really interesting. That's a good split. Yeah, no, that's nice. Mine's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's an unusual book. It's Ecclesiastes. Does anyone share that one with me? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's an unusual book because it's not about great positive uh, acclamations of faith. It's about life not being very easy. It's wonderful. If, if you've not read it or you haven't read it in a long time, I'd just recommend go and read it. It has some wonderful quotes. I was reading it this week. And one of them that hit me, I mean, I've got to confess, I was thinking of Trump, and I'm sorry, I'm going to be political. But it says, better the wisdom of a young man than the folly of an old king. <laughs> if, I, I don't mean, I don't want to upset anyone about political issues. You can come and talk to me afterwards. I just thought that was lovely. And, and the great truth is, there's nothing that is now that hasn't been. What is has been. What is to come has been. What is now will be and has been. It's a wonderful, it's just, it just puts my mind at rest. Now, I read this, uh, I read the book, and right at the end, almost the last verse, it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. After, after the preacher has talked about what's right and wrong and injustice and evil and good and people being rewarded for doing bad and being punished for doing good, he said, he said, okay, at the end, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I love that. I love that. Fear God and keep his commandments. So I, I thought to myself, what are God's commandments? So I googled because I'm not very good at this. You know, being, being a Quaker, uh, I'm not steeped in the Bible, I think, in the way that many of you are. But I googled two questions. What is the most frequent commandment? And what was the last commandment that Christ taught us? It's interesting. So what's the most frequent commandment? So, you know, if, if the whole duty of man is to keep God's commandment, what, what, what's the one that keeps coming out most often in the Bible? And I thought it would be, love the Lord your God. with It's not. It's not. It's interesting. The most frequent commandment is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It just appears everywhere. And I thought, oh, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> I need to hear that. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's lovely, isn't it? Lovely. And then I thought to myself, okay, what was the last thing Jesus told us to do? Because surely these must be the two important things that maybe, you know, as a Christian, we need to hold on to. So do not be afraid. That's great. The very last parable that Jesus taught actually came up in the, the worship. It's the sheep and the goats. You know, I was hungry and you fed me. When were you hungry? When did I feed you? That was the very last parable that Jesus teaches. And it, it, that was also a confirmation to me that what we're doing, what we do is good and it's right. And we do not need to be afraid. And by pure serendipity, and this is the one that, that pleases me most, I was staying in an Airbnb this week. And the, the guy that I was staying with, not a Christian, far from it, but he had a wonderful quote on his pinboard from Mother Teresa. And I'd like to read this because this is really good. And because it comes from Mother Teresa, it has a quality, a real quality, because it's born out of real-life experience. She, she, she said... People are often unreasonable, illogical, self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse us of being selfish and having ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest... And frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, 
They may be jealous, but be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it will never be enough. But give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. It's fantastic, isn't it? Fantastic. My brother once met Mother Teresa as a young and ambitious Christian. And in his ignorance and arrogance of youth, he said, do you you read the Bible? (laughs) And she said, I prefer to live it. Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that gorgeous? So that's my, that's my kind of setting the scene. We do not need to be afraid. What we are doing is right. But I'm now going to talk to you as a businessman. I'm sure you want to hear how Tradecraft's doing and where we're going, and I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about that. We're not doing well enough. That's the truth. The business model that Tradecraft has is not one that will succeed long term. I don't think that's news to many of you. Two, I think 18 months ago, we had the Show You Care campaign, and you rallied around, amazingly. Extraordinary. I've, I've seen what happened. I saw the literature. I saw the figures. It was an extraordinary coming together of the community to support your company. I, I think nearly everyone here is a shareholder, actually. Is there anyone who isn't a shareholder? Are there a, oh, oh, right. <laughs> Sorry. Please become shareholders. Uh, it was a, a remarkable coming together of an extraordinary community of people. Uh, you are supporters. You are donors. You are campaigners. You are buyers and sellers and consumers of our goods. You are remarkable. And you came together and the decline in sales that Tradecraft had been experiencing for about seven years stopped and we plateaued. And last year we were able to make uh, a small profit. Unfortunately, this year the decline has continued. And do not be afraid. <laughs> do not be afraid because what we are doing is right. But we, need, we do need to change. We've got to make some radical changes to the way Tradecraft is. And I'd like to share with you a little bit about some of the changes we want to make. And the message I want to hold on to is do not be afraid. What we are doing is right. And even if in the book of Ecclesiastes the good and the evil are judged alike, (laughs) I would rather do what is right and good and help Tradecraft to a better future. So I come from a, a similar job to the one I'm doing now. I, I work for a company in Germany called GIPA, impossible uh, acronym. It stands for Die Gesellschaft für die Förderung der Partnerschaft mit der Dritten Welt. Snappy, you know, just snappy brand. <laughs> just whoever did their marketing had it spot on. It, it, it means Society for the Furtherance of Partnership with the Third World. Isn't that great? Formed about the same time as Tradecraft, similar background, church background, uh, owned now 50% by the Catholic Church and 50% by the Protestant Church. Great. They're, they're very proud of it because it, you know, it just shows that the two wings of the church in Germany can work together. And uh, I joined Gieper and it was not quite in the same state as Tradecraft, but there's many issues. Losing a lot of money, losing a lot of money, no cash flow. 
And I think the first year I was there, coffee prices tripled. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I, that's why I've got grey hair. Uh, but we turned it around. We turned it around. Every company can be turned around if you do the right things. In our founding documents, and when I came, I thought it would be really good just to go back to the founding documents and find out why we were created. What, what was it that the shareholders here actually intended us to do? Now, we are two organizations. Um, many of you see Tradecraft as one kind of big organization that does many things. But in fact, we are two separate organizations, a PLC and a charity. I say that because actually it's not always that obvious. The two structurally are intermingled at the moment, which is something we're, we're looking at and teasing out. But I'll talk now just about the PLC. I'll talk about the charity later. Charity really excites me. They do extraordinarily good work in the charity. Very interesting. And when Mary talks about Brexit, you'll suddenly realize the depth of knowledge that there is in this organization. Wonderful. I feel very humbled because <laughs> they know an awful lot more than I will ever know. But the PLC has a founding statement, which is to put the principles of fair trade into commercial practice. That's fairly simple, isn't it? I mean, it's not like rocket science. <laughs> it's, it's sometimes companies have mission statements that go on for pages. But actually, that's all we've got to do. We've got to put the principles of fair trade into commercial practice. And what we've been very good at is the principles of fair trade. And what we've been really bad at is the commercial practice. We don't really function like a business. Uh, that's not a criticism. That's just the way we have developed. But we need to become more like a business in our thinking so that we can put the principles of fair trade into commercial practice. Now, I've already spoken for about 10 or 15 minutes. And it's very monotone, isn't it? Because I don't do PowerPoints. I, I am the PowerPoint. In fact, this is it. You know, I, I can't click a button and suddenly a, a smiling face appears. I am. So what I suggest is every few minutes, uh, we might want to just stand up and just, you know, because listening to one person talk for a long time is hard. Does anyone feel the need just to stand up? You may. You have permission. I empower you. Thank you. Because fair trade is all about empowerment. It's all about letting people develop themselves. And I'll tell you some lovely stories about development. Yes, and some stretches. So, I'm going to ask you some questions. What are the principles of fair trade? Does anybody actually know what fair trade is about? I mean, because <laughs> I'm supposed to be doing it commercially successfully, but it'd be good to know, genuinely, um, have we got a, a microphone? Uh, that I would love, I would genuinely love to know what you believe fair trade is. And people are going to say things, and other people, we've got, thank you, someone there uh, at the... Okay, making sure people don't get ripped off in what they've made. They get a fair um, price. Thank it's you. making them club together in cooperative so they're strong. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Jane, you just go around and... Uh, sustainable. Sustainable. Transparency. Yeah, lovely. It's business within an ethical framework. Great. Very good. Anybody else would like to... Yeah, we've got... Anyone, to, right at the bottom. Brilliant. <laughs> Jane, Jane ate far too much food last night, and I, this is my... Uh... My perception is that with fair trade, there's usually a premium involved as well yeah. because we recognize that we're supporting communities and helping communities to develop, so there's a, an element. Very good, yeah. I would see it as empowering people to 
um, become self in, become independent and gain a better quality of life, which we all take for granted. Okay. Um, yeah. I think it helps raise awareness of people about where where things come from yeah. and the interdependency of people across the world. There's someone at the front here, Jane. Uh, a couple of people. That's a fairly long-term guarantee of prices, so it enables forward planning. And um, there was another point which I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> oh yes, help with with uh, getting materials okay. up front. Increased income means that often children who otherwise wouldn't have had education can now be paid for, so they do get educated. Yeah. Ensuring safe working conditions and yeah. no child labour. Yeah. Good. One, a couple more down here, and then then we'll. Oh. It should promote gender equality. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's one more down here, train, and then we'll. Or two more. Um, fair payment for work that's rewarding and fulfilling. Okay. And there was just one last uh, contribution here, and then we'll. Paying a premium to the uh, community to help them lift themselves out of poverty. Great. Do you know there's, there's not one thing that was said there that is wrong? Absolutely spot on. Uh, it's all part of a big picture. But when fair trade started, it wasn't called fair trade. Fair tra the word fair came in a little bit later. Do you know what it was originally called? Alternative. That was the very first iteration. Alternative. Doing it differently. So whatever it is we do, we have to do differently from normal business. And a lot of the things you talked about are exactly that. Transparency. Uh, setting example, paying prices, uh, pre-financing, education, pre it's, that's all different from the normal business. And you can't talk about fair trade unless you actually understand how business normally works. You can't. Because if you just say this is fair trade, people don't really understand, well, fairer than what. And if you really know what business is like, then you see what fair trade should be and what we need to be as tradecraft. I'm going to talk about three things, because you always do, don't you? It's the classic three things. Uh, uh, when I was at RADA, everyone said, yes, every speech has three elements. Bombastic beginning, cracking middle, cracking end, you bring up. But there are three elements to fair trade. One is about the producers, one is about you, and one's about the bit in the middle. And then at the end, I'm going to explain what we're going to be doing to try and bring tradecraft back into prosperity. So it's about producers. A lot of what you said was about producers. Most importantly, it's about, it's about directly trading with producers. A lot of people buying products on a shelf have no idea where the product comes from, and actually neither do the companies that make them. Food goes through so many processes that very few companies bother to know where it comes from. They simply place an order with one of the big multinationals for 100 containers of cocoa and 50 of sugar, put it in a big factory, and they don't care where it comes from. They do not care. They really don't. A mass market does not care about origin. And in fact, the less you know about where your food comes from, the better for the food industry. In transparency makes money. So the word transparency was great. Big companies love to fudge where their food comes from. So 
Lemonade. It's actually only made of two ingredients. No, it's not made of sugar. It's interesting. It's made of two ingredients. Water is one, (laughs) thankfully. That's the only good bit. (laughs) Everything else, everything else is made out of... No, it's not chemicals, though. It's been chemically manipulated to the point where you wouldn't recognize it. Corn. 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 You didn't know that, did you? If you knew that that £1.99 Coke is made of water and corn, you think, what? One ninety nine, And the corn has been fractured into many different uh, components, glucose, all the E numbers that you see. It's all corn. It's all corn. It's all GMO corn. It all comes from West middle of America. But the fact that you don't know what's in the food means that the industry can cheat you. And the longer the chain, the more cheating goes on. <laughs> yeah. But because of their volumes, they don't actually uh, spend a lot of money. The amount of corn is probably about 2p. The water is basically free. You're paying 199. That is one heck of a profit. Yeah. It's an interesting fact. Intransparency makes profits for the food industry. And intransparency is compounded by the fact that most of the brands that you buy and know they don't actually do the buying themselves anymore. They have outsourced it to one of the five big industrial food conglomerates that dominates food, train, food uh, trade. There are about five companies in any industrial train that own the chain. So about 90% of coffee is traded by five companies. It's the same in cocoa, it's the same in salt. It goes on and on and on. These companies are very, very powerful, of course, and their whole purpose in life is to reduce prices at producer level and get the maximum out at the other end. So fair trade has to be different from that, and it has to be direct. Now, you would assume most fair trade is direct. It also, that's point one, it has to be direct. We as Tradecraft need to go directly back to all of our producers and buy directly from them. That's the only way we can be transparent. That's what we need to do. It's a promise to consumers that we sell what we know. Most fair trade products do not come direct from... Uh, source. Divine does, Cafe Direct does, we do as much as we can. We need to improve. Second thing that's really important about fair trade is it's about quality. Now, we often think of producers as poor and hopeless and aimless and they're just desperate for our help. Forget that. That's the wrong picture. That is the wrong picture in fair trade. These cooperatives, after 40 years of fair trade, some of them are brilliant. They are brilliant. They can do micro-lot coffee that would sell for £10 a bag on the high street. They are brilliant. But because of the way the market works, they need specialist buyers who will go in and appreciate the quality that they can do. They don't want to be selling their worst quality to fair trade or to anybody. They want to get better and better and better. And part of what fair trade is about is helping them get better. We have a charity, we are a charity, that's going to in the future be specialising in helping organisations improve their quality so that we can import their best quality and sell it. Because actually, development is not about keeping producers at some dreadfully poor level where they, they never improve, but it's about giving them the tools and the know, the wherewithal to produce unbelievably good coffee, cocoa, sugar. And that includes organic. 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 Sustainable, someone said, I think, which is probably a better word than organic. If we are not helping producers produce sustainably and organically, we are not helping them. Now, I want to talk about organics because in this country, it seems a little bit alternative. 
oh, that's the, that's the Chiswick set or the, you know, the, the transition town people in the southwest, the, the yoga loving people. It's all very suspect with Gaia and so on. No, the reality is this. If you are a poor producer in a developing country and you are using inputs of highly poisonous organophosphates and you are carrying that stuff around your farm on your back, 30 degrees heat and 35 degrees heat and that humidity, it is poison. Producers do not like to use organics, uh, uh, phosphates. It's poison. There's a very famous story I remember reading in Germany, an interview with a small African child who was slave child. Uh, yes, let's use the word it is, a slave, whose job was to collect, uh, cut cocoa pods. Now, ch- children are very desired in the cocoa industry because these pods are, are not, they're not that big and they fit perfectly into a child's hand. So when you get the machete, it tends not to cut their fingers. If you're an adult with a big hand, sorry, if you're an adult with a big hand and you're holding a cocoa pod and you take the machete, accidents happen. That's why children are so desired in the cocoa industry. It's grim, isn't it? It's really it's disgusting, but that's why. And they're cheap. But they tend not to get injured. Anyway, he was he was interviewed a few years ago. Uh, he was asked what his product eventually became. He had never heard of chocolate. He, he just knew he had to go and collect these pods and crack them. And, and uh, he was given some chocolate. And, of course, he found it terribly sweet. He wasn't used to that. And he was told that uh, children in the UK and around Europe just love this product. And his response was, when you eat that, you eat my flesh and it burns. That was his quote. When you eat that, you eat my flesh and it burns. And that gave me a different understanding of organic. It's not about you and me particularly, though I think there are health benefits. It's about the way we care for the earth. So Tradecraft unashamedly needs to start supporting producers by buying organic food. It's good for them. They get a premium. They are not subject to the same commodity price pressure that uh, most other producers are. So these are things that Fair Trade, I think Tradecraft needs to be doing for producers. And I just want to talk about GMOs. You think I'm going really off beam now, don't you? Don't worry, we're going to stand up in a minute. But before I finish the producer bit, GMOs. Why is it that GMOs? The technology is in itself not particularly wild. I've got to be careful what I say here. What you can do with it can be wild. But the issue with GMOs, for me, is about the way multinationals use it to enslave producers. If you buy their seeds... They're called terminator seeds. They don't grow next year. So you plant the seed. You can't keep a certain amount of seeds back and replant. No, you've got to go back next year and buy a completely new set of seed. Of course, you need to buy the herbicide as well to go with it. And you need nitrogen over time. So you start getting yourself locked into an industrial process of farming and you are disempowered. You become burdened by debt. So while GMO in itself may be an interesting technology, the the way it is used by multinationals is, quite frankly, criminal. And I use that word. I think it is. Uh, I spent some time in January with Vandana Shiva. Some of you may know the name Vandana Shiva. She is an alternative Nobel uh, Nobel Prize winner in India. She has a farm. And her whole raison d'etre is to gather different types of seeds from the valley where the farm is. They have about 400 different types of wheat that they store. And every year... They give out the seed to local farmers and then they ask for a little bit of seed back and they have new breeds and they have cross. That's GMO in a way. It's it's, it's cross-fertilization. But what you tend to get is a very, very rich 
uh, accumulation of seeds that can withstand local disease and is resilient, doesn't need nitrogen, that's sustainability. So when, in the moment, I'm going to be talking about GMO-free, it's not because I want to be, you know, right on. It's because actually it makes a big difference to producers. Oh, right. Stand up. (laughs) Stretch those arms, because I know this is heavy stuff, isn't it? You weren't expecting a lecture, were you? You you weren't expecting a lecture at all. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Does anyone need to get some water to sprinkle over themselves to... uh, Mr. Roth, what you're saying is shocking, just shocking. But actually, I think you know a lot of this. You, you know, you, in your hearts, you know why we do fair trade. It's because it's, trade is just so unbelievably biased against the people who have the least. My, fa- my, my, my sister is a dairy farmer in Cheshire. <laughs> it's the same principles. It's the same principle. Trying to get her milk to market without going through the multinationals, forget it. And the multinationals pay whatever they want, you know. And the supermarkets are part of the issue. So, so I'm going to talk about consumers. What does fair trade mean to consumers? A lot of what you talked about was, you know, the other end of the chain. But actually, I think fair trade is really important in what it says to consumers. And you know this because you're selling fair trade goods. And you know what consumers really want. And what they don't want is something that doesn't taste very good. I think Tradecraft has got some development work on products to do. I think we can improve quite strikingly the quality and taste of a lot of our products. And to that end, one of the changes that we're making is we are employing and have employed a coffee expert. Now, coffee experts are very rare. <laughs> they, they, unlike coffee, does not grow on trees. Uh, but when I left my last company, a colleague of mine who was the coffee manager said, I'd really like to come with you to Tradecraft. And I said, great. So we've got someone who's a real expert in coffee, and we're going to be looking at the mixtures, the tastes, and improving. I hear, no- I see nods. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, because it's easy to sell a product that tastes good. Yeah, people will buy fair trade once out of pity, but it's not a sustainable uh, concept, is it? So one of the big stories coming up is product development. Huge amount of product development, and some exciting stories there. But I think it's more than that. I think being fair to consumers is if they are genuinely going to pay more, then they should get more, both in terms of quality and in terms of the ethical story behind. That's transparency to me. Secondly, they have to know that the company behind it actually does what it says. It's very hard to sustain a business. It's very hard, unless you have real ethical drive and you know exactly what you're doing. We need to be a company that is absolutely spot on in terms of our ethics. I think we're very good at this. We don't talk about it enough. We, we do things that are crazy in a business sense. I want to keep doing the crazy things, but we're going to talk about tradecraft is not just fair trade. Now, at my last company, we, we had quite a, a break with the fair trade label. We took it off. Don't worry. We took it off because I felt what we were doing as a company was just so much more. It's just, why, why talk about an O level when you're a PhD? You know, what, you don't talk about that on your CV. You talk about all the great stuff you're doing. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking about the great stuff we are doing that we do do. We have a charity that does just unbelievable work. We do extraordinary stuff in the PLC and we don't talk about it enough. So we're going to get a little bit cocky and arrogant and we're going to actually say what we do that's good and better. 
So you need to expect a different type of communication, I think, in the future from tradecraft. Finally, the last thing, and then we're going to do another little stand-up because this is hard going, isn't it? The last thing that I think is really important for consumers is sustainability. Packaging. Mm. Not just the amount of it, but what it's made of. Do you know how bad aluminium is for the earth? This is one of the hidden things. In Germany, it's, in Germany, you cannot, you, you cannot pack a fair trade product in aluminium. You would be taken down to the village square, put in stocks, and left there to rot. Because they understand it is the largest user of electricity in the industrial sector. And the byproducts are red bauxite, it's called. You can't get rid of it. It's like nuclear waste. It just sits in vast reservoirs waiting to break through a dam, as it did in Hungary four years ago in a small town called Devachan, where a wave of red slush went through the local village, killing four people. And the Hungarian government after said, it's all right, don't worry, it's, it's cleaned up. It's, it's been washed away in the, in the river system. <laughs> we have to be really thoughtful and mindful about the way we package and I think aluminium is one of the things we've got to get rid of because it's just a shocker. And there are many more shocking things in the packaging industry. So although these are details, it's actually about, it's about genuinely doing fair trade. It's about actually thinking through the whole process, making sure that the consumer at the end has a piece of packaging that they can drop on their compost heap. That would be great, wouldn't it? That would be great. <laughs> We're working on a range that we can do this. Just drop it on your compost heap. That would be lovely. Anyway, those are things I think that Tradecraft can, can genuinely address, and we will. Those are things to do with the producer. In a moment, I'm going to talk about the bit in the middle. <laughs> but maybe, would you like, I haven't seen anyone do this, but I, well, I've just done it. Would you, uh, if you feel the need just to stand up and move around, please do, because, uh, yeah, yeah, don't worry, yes, please stand. So what, what can Tradecraft really do? Let, let's be honest. We are small. We are so small. <laughs> Painfully small. Fair trade after 40 years, 40 years roughly. <sighs> what have we achieved? That was the title. Was it? Actually, that's what I'm supposed to be talking about, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. Jane asked me to give a title about six months ago and said, I'll talk on that. Now, and the, so what, what has fair trade actually achieved? What has Tradecraft tra tra managed to do? All this work that we've been doing for so many years, it's not wasted. It is not wasted. We have achieved a great deal. But again, would anyone like to go on, be bold and stand up and say, we have achieved, what have we achieved? Yeah, we've got, oh, we got some people here. Go on, be bold. Do not be afraid. Just saying, a room full of very enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah, we've got a movement. We've got a movement, haven't we? Yeah. But anything else? Well, I think that's really important to remember. We are a community. Um, prominence. Prominence. In a um, quite a niche sort of market. Absolutely. We are prominent. People know about fair trade. They think about what they buy, don't they? A higher standard of living for lots of people around the world. Yes. If you saw some of the producer communities that have been in fair trade for 40 years, you'd, you'd be amazed. They are doing well. <laughs> that some of them are just doing great, producing high-quality food with good living standards. Awareness. Yeah, awareness. People know what we're talking about. They can't pretend. 
transition from campaign coffee, which was like medicine, to very good coffee. Very good. You're right. You're absolutely spot. We must, we must not talk ourselves down. When we look at the Goliath ahead of us, we are amazing. There is legislation that has been passed, both in Europe and in the UK, that is based on our campaigning work. Consumers understand that you cannot endlessly rip off, though they act differently. They understand, though they act differently. Actually, when I, in my last job, we commissioned a wonderful little video in a market square in Berlin where we, we made a, a, a false company, a dummy company called AgriProfit. And we sold chocolate, eggs, and meat, and coffee at unbelievably cheap prices. And it was beautifully done. It was all, you know, we created a company with its own logo. And we had two wonderful salespeople. And they sat there and they blagged. And they said, yeah, now the reason this chocolate is so cheap, 49 cents for 100 grams, is because we use child labor. You know, we, we use child labor and we don't use protective clothing when the planes come over. We just tell the workers to do this. Keeps costs down, great for you. And the eggs, the hens, you know, we, we have what we call the golden, tr- the golden square. That's how much room a, a hen has to live in. And uh, the fact that they peck each other sometimes to death doesn't really matter because it's the wheat that we need to cull anyway. And uh, if, if we feed them power corn, then we'll get m- many more eggs. And the power corn... It's cheaper than the, it's, it's, it's profit for you. It's just wonderful. We are being transparent. And do you know what? People couldn't get enough of it. It's on YouTube, Agra Profit. It's in German, but they have it with, with subtitles. Brilliant. It went viral. People understand, but they don't, don't always behave, do they? <laughs> when we saw the results, we could not believe. People were saying, yeah, great. Are you here next week? <laughs> One guy came along with a fair trade bag, I think. And one or two people were angry. You know, they were angry. There was righteous anger and justice saying, you can't do that. That's wrong. And they were saying, what's wrong? We're being transparent. We're telling you the truth. We're not hiding anything. It's cheap. Buy it. It's cheap. How seductive that is. Sorry, I don't know why I told you that story, but it just amused me when I saw it. I'm going to tell you now about what Tradecraft is going to be doing and how we respond, because I think we do have a role. We are not going to be the biggest company in the world. Of course not. That was never our intention. What we are going to become is an example of what real fair trade is. Because I think by showing that you can do it properly means that everybody else has to choose not to do it properly. I want to be a moral (laughs) dilemma for other companies, for legislators, and for consumers. Yes, we can. I don't want to... um, Take that from Obama, but we can do it. You can do trade properly. It's possible. And I want to do all of those things that we talked about. Sourcing directly, high quality, organic, GMO-free, recyclable packaging, very good taste. And you know, the sad thing is, we can't do this with a Tradecraft brand. Because the Tradecraft brand doesn't capture all of those things. People who know Tradecraft do not think necessarily of all of those qualities. So in the autumn, we will be launching a completely new brand. Completely new. When you look at it, you won't, you won't reckon, you'd say, what's that got to do with Tradecraft? <laughs> because we need to go after a different market. We all know that the fair trader community is unbelievably loyal. But it's not growing. 
And instead of trying to continue selling to the same people more and more and more, you're, you're exhausted, I think. We need to find new customers. And new customers are interested in other things. Fair trade is actually not the most important thing in their lives. Shock horror. <laughs> For those of us who live and breathe fair trade, that's a horrible thing to say. But actually, there are many, many more issues going on out there. I mentioned some of them. I meant, you know, the organic movement, the foodie market, the slow movement, localism, transition towns. These are, these are people that we should be talking to with a completely new range of products. And that's what we will be doing in September. I, I don't have mock-ups to show you today. We've got some, but I don't want to overwhelm you. But over the course of the next few months, I will be sharing through the bulletins where we're going. And I hope you will embrace it. You will find the prices eye-watering. But actually, compared with the quality of the products out on the market, absolutely spot on. It's a different market. It's a different market. I know that many of you will not be able to sell some of these products because they don't fit your customer profile. You're very welcome to, and we'd encourage you to do so. But it Tradecraft needs to find a bigger a bigger audience, and it needs to bring the principles of fair trade into commercial practice on a different scale. Now, we need your support. We do. Without you, Tradecraft is quite literally nothing. You are Tradecraft, believe you me. Um, we need your support in developing the company. We need you to continue doing what you're doing, campaigning, explaining what fair trade is, talking in churches, talking to groups. And over time, we need to give you more information about the kind of real fair trade that Tradecraft aspires to do. So we need to give you a lot of information. You'll start seeing products at some point. It's going to be exciting, and for some of you, slightly scary, because these are things that you're not used to necessarily selling in your communities. Don't worry. There's no, there's no pressure. We will be going to organic wholesalers, we want to get into health food shops, delis, coffee shops. That's where we need to be. That's where that new consumer is. So I hope you don't feel that we're bypassing you. Far from it. We would like you also, don't worry, we're going to continue with the Tradecraft range. We're going to improve that. We're going to make that. In fact, there are some, some interesting packaging designs in there. We'd be really interested to know what you think because I think our packaging could do with a little bit of love. Yeah, a little bit of love. So maybe you could look at that. So Tradecraft continues absolutely improving quality. We're going to, going to invest quite a lot of money in getting the Tradecraft range better and better and better. But we're also going to go into another market. We want to be political and fun. The products will not, will be unavailable in selected supermarkets. <laughs> because the supermarkets are part of our problem, aren't they? I remember in Germany, I, I, I had to go and negotiate with a company called, uh, no, I shouldn't say, because they would really sue me. Uh, whatever. It was one of the bigger ones. And we sold six million euros of food in there a year. So they were, they were important to us. <laughs> and they, they didn't want to accept a price increase, which happened when coffee went up. And, uh, and we said, I'm sorry. We are not going to cut the money we pay to our suppliers, our producers. We're not. We will not do this. And they, they, he looked at me and he said, you do not understand this game, Mr. Roth. Every year you make less, I make more. If you don't want to play the game, we don't need to take your products. Those are the supermarkets doing great value for you. That's the real game that goes on in the background. We don't want to, I don't want to touch these people. They're too powerful, they're too big. 
It's not what we're about. <laughs> we, 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 were, we were really radical. What did we do is the question. We withdrew our products from their stores. But it, it was lucky. It's a cooperative organization where each individual store had the right to um, order themselves. So we wrote a letter to all of the individual store owners and said, um, we're going to have to withdraw all of these products from your shelves because the central buying office refuses to raise prices. And I think the phrase is shitstorm, excuse my language. <laughs> the, the central office was bombarded with very angry people saying, you do not treat Gipa like that. They are doing this business properly. Our consumers want their products. You do not treat them like that. And they, they backed down. But that was because Gipa had all of these qualities. It was doing trade absolutely right, and everybody knew they were doing it right. And that's where we need to be with Tradecraft. I would love to be able to go to a meeting with supermarkets, and they say, we want your products, and to be able to say, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're not there yet. That's my ambition. As you can see, I'm very ambitious for Tradecraft, but I think it's very clear the direction we need to go. Uh, a little improvement that you'll see very soon, because we are investing very heavily, is a new web shop. So as of the end of April, we hope when you place your orders online, it will be a joy. <laughs> I gather at the moment it is not a joy. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. No, we're, we're just trying to make it a little bit easier for you to navigate the, the website. We're doing lots of investments. We won't begin to see the real effects of these investments until uh, the late summer. And until then, we got a hairy time ahead of us. I, I said trading is poor. December was a disaster. We were doing very well till the end of November. December was was terrible, and uh, that's hit our cash flow. And sales at the moment are okay, but somehow we need to rally and be, not be afraid. Say we can do this. We are going to turn into the most interesting ethical company in this country, putting the principles of fair trade into commercial practice successfully. And boy, do we need you on that journey. I hope you'll continue to support us as you have done so faithfully, and I'm so grateful. We're doing a lot of changes in the charity as well. Not quite the same level of detail that I can talk to you about, and I know I've talked for too long already, but I just want to let you know I am as excited about what we're going to do in the charity as I am in the PLC. We are going to develop the kind of expertise in supply chains that makes it possible to fundamentally change the balance of power between producers and their first buyers. We're kind of retooling it, but I think that's a talk for September because we'll have much more detail. I just don't want you to think that I'm, I haven't mentioned the charity. I think that's probably enough that you can take in. It's more than enough than I can say. I want to thank you very, very much for listening. I hope it's encouraging. Remember, do not be afraid because what we are doing is right. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs>